You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are so glad that you're here with us this afternoon. And uh, so most of you know that if you've been here around for Calvary for a while, I have three kids. Uh, my daughter Mia is 16, who, by the way, was the one singing here just a moment ago. Wow. And um, my son Xander is 13, and he was the one playing guitar over here. And, um, and my daughter Livy is 11. She was sitting in the back. And, uh, but I'll tell you, thank you. I'll tell you this, that having your third child, and if you have multiple kids, you know this to be true, that having your third child is a totally different experience than having your first. Because you bring your first home and you are freaking out about everything. I remember the drive home from the hospital to my house. I live exactly, or lived two miles from the hospital, and it was the most terrifying two miles of my life as I was driving. I, I, was, I, I asked the nurses if I could stay a few extra days I'm like, would it be cool if I, we just hung out a few? And they're like, no, you got to go. We got like a thousand other people coming in who are having kids. And, and, you know, then you come home and you bought all the stuff. You've been researching. You know, we, everything that we had had to be sterilized. Nothing could touch the floor. Everyone who even held our baby had to go through a, you know, 12-point federal background check. And, um, and then you have more kids and you start loosening up. And I, and I noticed this, that my reaction to the same thing, changed from one child to the next to the next. I remember when Mia was a year or two old and she, she spilled cereal on the floor. And I remember jumping into it. Don't worry, mama. I got this. I'm going to clean this all up and make you a new bowl. And then when Xander spilled cereal, I'd be like, all right, buddy, come on, let's clean this together and uh, let's get a new bowl. And then by the time Livy was born, she spilled cereal on the floor. I'm like, Livy, your cereal's on the floor. Eat it before the floor gets sticky. And uh, it's sad. It's sad, but but true. The weird part is she's probably the healthiest of the three of them. So I think there might be, we might be onto something. Um, but man, when Mia was born, we had this contraption that we bought at, uh, at Babies R Us. Pour one out for them. Anyway, um, <laughs> for those who use that phrase. Uh, but anyway, when Mia was born, we had this thing that it looked like a rice cooker. It was like, the, and, but it was, it was a sanitizer. And so we would put everything, bottles and pacifiers. And if Mia's pacifier fell on the floor, uh, we would just, go, you know, we would jump, grab it, put it into the sanitizer to get that thing cleaned down to the molecular level. And then when Xander was born, I'm like, dude, I don't want to turn that thing on. And so I would just run it under some hot water and kind of be done with it. And then when Livy's pacifiers hit the ground, I was like, dude, I got to get up. So I just like, there you go. It's all good. Or if it was really bad, I'd put it in my mouth, clean it, and then give it to her. First of all, I don't even want to hear it because Every one of us did it. Now, you don't want to admit it, but I'm going to admit it on behalf of all of us. But we did it. It was gross. But yet here we are. And these kids are still alive somehow. But I'm telling you, I, we bought Mia home. <laughs> so we get, the day we get Mia home, and you know, when the kids are in the hospital, they have that little low jack system that they put on there. But then they take the low jack off, but they still have that ankle bracelet. Uh, and so they're like, oh, just cut that off when you get home. So we said, fine. We get home, and then... We had been home for less than five minutes, and where Carrie is holding Mia, I get the scissors, and I'm going to cut the bracelet, and I'm being so careful, because the last thing I want to do is poke, her, poke our newborn with a pair of scissors, and so I'm just, I'm so careful, yeah. 
Come on, here we go. Move the ant. Carrie, move her. Turn the ant. I need this like 15 degrees moved. Anyways, it's like, and then I go to, then I, okay, I'm ready. And I go to cut it. And I didn't realize that her foot was in between. And I, and I clipped her the back with the back of the scissors. I pinched her foot. She starts crying. Carrie starts crying. I started crying. I'm like, I'm not ready for this level of responsibility. And it's just it's like, right, right. There was just, it was madness. It was madness. Now, I'm telling you this because with this, this whole commotion, we are going to see a birth today. We're going to see the birth of the church. Once again, we've been talking about this, that we, we did this whole series in the Gospel of Matthew that we called The Story. And the story seemingly ends with the resurrection of Jesus, but that's really where the story begins. Because the gospel now, the, the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, now that message is going to go forth into the entire world. And that is what the book of Acts is all about, how the gospel starts in Jerusalem and then starts traveling throughout the entire world at that time as, as people come to know Jesus and entire regions and cities are transformed. But if you remember, if you're with us in the first message, this is the third message, but if you're with us in the first message, Jesus said, listen, don't leave Jerusalem just yet. I want you to wait until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to do what you're called to do. Then, the disciples go back to Jerusalem and they're waiting, but they've got to take care of some unfinished business. And that's what we looked at last time. And they had to figure out who's going to take Judas's place. Remember, Judas betrayed Jesus. He killed himself. And then uh, they end up choosing a guy named Matthias. And I can only imagine that must have been a little weird. So, hey, so you're the guy that replaced Judas, huh? Yeah, all right. Well, we're watching you. And uh, then again, I don't know if you've ever started a job and the person that you're replacing was the absolute worst and, there, you know, it's like there's no level of expectation. Like, you just show up and you're already going to be better than the old guy. And I'm, all, I'm thinking Matthias is like, you know, whatever. I'm replacing, like, the worst guy in history. It's almost impossible to screw this up. So anyway, but now, so why do you say this is the birth of the church? Well, it is the birth of the church because on this day, which what we're going to be looking at in Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is a Greek word that literally means 50th because it's 50 days after the Passover. And 50 days after the Passover, the Jews would have this feast that was called the Feast of Weeks. This is where you presented to God the first fruits of your harvest. And in the Jewish culture, it was a big deal, not only because it was a, 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 one of the required feasts, but also in the Jewish culture, P Pentecost was considered the birthday of Judaism. Because, remember, on the very first Passover, the, they're children of Israel, slaves in Egypt. They take the blood, put it on the doorpost. The angel of death passes over and wipes out the Egyptians. They leave in haste, cross the Red Sea. And 50 days after that, they get to Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. And this is why the Jews celebrate and call it the birthday of Judaism, because it was the day that God had given the law to the Jewish people. And that's why everyone is in Jerusalem, because we're going to celebrate the giving of the law. We're going to celebrate Pentecost, they had just gotten through celebrating uh, Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it was kind of like in this kind of month and a half period, there was a lot to celebrate in the Jewish culture. But the, the 120 believers in Jesus are there to celebrate the feast, but also to wait for the promise that the Father was going to give them, that they would be empowered for the work that God was planning for them to do. And here's why this is so important. Because you and I, some of us have been waiting for God to do a work in our lives. We've been praying for God to open a door. We've been asking God to give us an opportunity to create a better opportunity for uh, a better life for ourselves. And listen, God wants to do all of those things when we're ready for them. And being 
ready for it means that we're not just receive the blessing, but we're able to handle the blessing. Because here's what happens if you don't realize this. If we're not ready to receive the blessing when we're given to it, the blessing is no longer a blessing. Sometimes the blessing becomes a curse. And so we need the power of God in our lives, the gifting of God in our lives to do what God has called us to do. And I am absolutely convinced of this, that if we will be open to the spirit of God like these believers were, we will see God do what he did in their lives in ours. So we're gonna start in Acts chapter two, in verse one, here's what we read. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So if you pause there and give me your attention, if you say, I want God to work in me and through me, what do I need? Number one, if you're a note taker, is I need God to empower me with gifts. The first step in walking in all that God has called us to do is that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. Now, I want you to notice what happens. There's a lot here. We're going to kind of walk this phrase by phrase so that we understand it. But the believers are praying, and they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Now, these guys in the Jewish culture, they would have caught this immediately. A mighty rushing wind, that means God wants to speak. That means God wants to work. Why? Because they would have gone back to the book of Job. When Job has all of these horrible things happen in his life, and he's questioning and asking God, explain to me what this means. God finally speaks in chapter 38, and it says, and then finally, God answered Job out of the whirlwind. So there is this mighty wind, and God begins to speak. Jesus picks up on this language in John chapter 3 and said, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, an important thing to understand, because sometimes we think, oh, there was a mighty rushing wind. And we think that it's like, you know, or like, you know those apps that you have for kids that help them fall asleep? It's like rain, or it's like wind. It's like, this is the bristling of bamboo, you know, or something. No, this wasn't that. This is so, this rushing mighty wind is so loud that the people outside gather together and say, what in the world is going on? And we're going to see that in just a moment. But it's loud enough so the people of Jerusalem start inquiring as to what it means. But then it says, and you'll see it in, in verse 3, and then appeared to them divided tongues of fire and sat upon each of them. Once again, the Jewish mind would immediately make the reference and understand what it meant. Fire appearing, mighty rushing wind. God is calling someone into ministry to do something. How do I know? Because when God calls Moses into ministry to tell him to, tell him to be the savior and deliverer of the Jewish people, he shows up in a burning bush. When God is leading the people out of Egypt into the promised land, there's a pillar by day and a, a, pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In fact, just to kind of hammer the point home, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, when Moses is recounting the day when the law was given, the very first Pentecost, listen to what it says. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence and with his mighty power. Now, so... Someone looks on, mighty rushing wind, fire. Okay, God is calling someone. God is empowering someone. God is doing something. 
And then it says that the, the believers began to speak in other tongues as the Lord gave them utterance. Now, I know that this is, this is somewhat controversial in church, but let me just explain um, what the Bible teaches about speaking in tongues that um, will kind of clear some of the confusion. So first, let's define it. What is tongues as a gift? Speaking in tongues is a personal prayer language that God gifts the person an ability to, to pray in a language that they don't naturally know. At its simplest, that's what it means. Now, sometimes it is a known language. Sometimes it is an unknown language. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not, lung, uh, have not love, I'm like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Tongues of men, known languages. Tongues of angels, unknown languages. The other thing is, directionally, tongues is always directed to God and is always praise and worship of who he is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, uh, it's in your notes, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, here's part of the confusion of this gift. If you come from a Pentecostal or charismatic church background, what you'll find is sometimes in these movements that th this, the gift of tongues gets elevated above all the other gifts. In fact, some movements and uh, Christians will tell you, you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. And I'm sorry, that is 100% false. Uh, why? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the believers in Corinth about spiritual gifts. And he's saying, hey, all of us have different gifts, but all of us are part of one body, which means that when I use my gift and you use your gift, I'm blessed by your gift, you're blessed by my gift, and the whole body of Christ is edified. And he hammers the point home by asking these rhetorical questions at the end. He says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Are all uh, have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? Oh, yeah, that one's no. It's just, the whole point is no. Do all interpret? No. And it's, it's, I put it in your notes in 1 Corinthians 12. And if we're being honest, uh, tongues is a wonderful gift, but it's limited. In fact, the Apostle Paul puts it pretty far down on the list of its effectiveness in congregational life. He would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 14. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why? Because you can't agree unless you understand what's being spoken. And I, and I, I learned this years ago when my wife and I were first married, we didn't have a TV. And then someone gave us a TV, but we didn't have any cable, so we didn't ever turn it on. And then one day we turned it on and realized that we could get PBS. And so every, you know, once in a while we would just want to watch something, and we're like, hey, let's turn it on. And so we would turn on PBS, the only channel we could get, and it would be Bob Ross, you know, painting something, happy accidents, you know. Or Julia Child, here we go. You know, that's my Julia Child impression. And, um, and then sometimes it was like, you know, then we'd maybe watch Sesame Street. It's all that was on. And uh, although, man, what happened to Sesame Street? They've gone nuts. Uh, like, that's a street my kids won't be walking down. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's a different sermon. But anyway, so one day we turn on PBS and uh, the show Que Pasa USA is on. Now, for the eight of you that don't know what that is, let me just explain that real quick. Que Pasa USA is a show that came out late 70s, early 80s. That was this family that comes from Cuba to America. And so you have the grandparents, the parents, and then the two kids. And the, the grandparents are super Cuban, don't speak any English. The parents 
uh, are still super Cuban, but they, they speak, you know, they, I almost said something in Spanish. Uh, and they, they, you know, they can kind of get by in, 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 in English, but you know, they're, they're somewhat bilingual. And then the kids are just fully uh, assimilated into American culture. And basically the whole show is how you have these two cultures that collide and how do we still, as a family, love each other and uh, kind of work through all this together. It really is a wonderful show uh, and one of the funniest shows I've ever seen, but we were watching the show and I am laughing so hard, I'm crying. And because the thing about Capasa USA, and if you watch it again, you'll notice this, is that they'll, they speak three languages, right? They speak English, Spanish, and Spanglish. And, but, then, but all the punchlines are in Spanish. And that's just, and so I'm dying laughing and my wife is watching, she's like, what's so funny? What's going, what's ha- what happened? What did the grandma say? And, 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 and so, and it's like, well, and, and the whole point is, and it's the principle that Paul is saying, you can't say amen, you can't agree with what's saying unless you understand the language. And I didn't understand this, I really understood this firsthand. A few months later, when I was in Haiti on a missions trip, I spent a week in Haiti, and then I was flying home, I was in the airport, and I was with my group, and uh, we were, we were uh, getting ready to fly home, we were eating lunch, and on the TV, on all the TVs, for whatever reason, in the airport in Port-au-Prince, they were showing the movie Beverly Hills Cop. And uh, I happen to love the old Eddie Murphy movies. And so I'm like, oh man, I love all the Beverly Hills Cop movies. And so, and I'm listening. Unfortunately, everything in this movie is all in Creole. So everybody around me is laughing and I'm like, I don't get it until I hear, you know, the Eddie Murphy laugh. And then, then I start laughing because that's the only thing I understand that's being said. Uh, and so, and this is the whole point, right? Is that You've got to understand, and this is, the, this is the thing about tongues, the strength of the spiritual gift of tongues privately, that it is a private prayer language that edifies your spirit, it, it edifies your connection and relationship with God, its power and strength privately is also its weakness publicly. And that's what makes the gift of tongues here a bit unique, because every other time that tongues is mentioned, people talk about that it's praise to God, but you don't know unless there's an interpreter. So who's someone who has the gift of tongues interpretation and then explains what is it is that being said. Here, and this is what makes this, this part unique, everyone around understands what's being said because what are being used, what are being said, uh, what, what is being prayed in tongues are known languages. So there's no need for interpretation. People understand what it is that's being said. And this creates the opportunity for the gospel to shine. Look what happens in verse five. It says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, that is, remember, the mighty rushing wind. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others mocked, uh, mocking, saying they are full of new wine. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing, I want God to work in my life, lead me. I need to be empowered with gifts. The second thing is I need God to give me wisdom. 
And that's the thing that we're going to see here. I want you to notice that all of these people that hear this commotion, the mighty rushing wind, they hear the tongues, they hear the praising of God. Luke mentions all of these people because he wants everyone to know what's taking place. Now, I wish I knew who created this map. I found it online. And uh, so I, forgive me for not being able to give proper attribution, but, you know, shout out to whoever made this map. And, uh, but I want you to notice that as far as Rome, all around uh, the Roman world, right? Rome had conquered the known world at that time. All over the empire, people had all converged upon Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And all of these different nations that were speaking different languages all converge upon Jerusalem. And all of them hear what's being spoken because the diversity of culture means a diversity of languages. And what is so amazing is that these people are confused because they hear believers and they're like, aren't these people from Galilee? Now, here's the thing that you've got to understand is that people from Galilee weren't thought of very highly. And if you're with us in the Gospel of Matthew, we talked about this. They were considered country people. They weren't considered, you know, the smartest among us. They were kind of country bumpkin, hicks, I don't know. Can you even say that word anymore? I don't know. Everything is so offensive to everyone, I don't know. And if you are offended by that, please send me an email that I can ignore. Um, so anyway, um, but the point is, is that people, they did not think very highly of Galileans. So they're like, Galileans are, are, how is it that Galileans know how to speak all these different languages? And then, so they're, they're like, and what are they doing? It's what we talked about. What tongues does is that tongues is a, it's, they're, they're speaking about the wonderful works of God. And then, so the people are asking this legitimate question, what in the world could this mean? And then there are others who mock and say, oh, you know, they're drunk. Now, let me, if I can, can, if I can sidebar for just a minute. And I want to, this is so important. Whenever you attempt to do something significant with your life, especially if you are attempting to do something significant for God in your life, there will always be mockers. And here's the thing that you have to understand. People who mock and criticize what you're doing are always doing less than you. Now, let me say that again. For, if, you want, if you were like me and you went to public school, we'll do it one more time. All right? <laughs> people who mock and criticize what you're doing are always doing less than you. They are never doing more. The people who are doing more, they don't have time to mock. You know why? Because they're doing more. That's the point. That's why in Proverbs chapter 9, Solomon says this, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. And if you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Now, once again, it's the same word in Hebrew that's translated mocker or scoffer. It's just an issue of translation. But a mocker or a scoffer isn't just a fool. They are a fool who thinks they are always right, which is far on the spectrum of foolish people. This is probably the most dangerous of all fools because mockers are fools who are condescending and mock those who do what's right. And this is how you know the situation is bad with mockers. Uh, listen to what Proverbs 17 says. This is a great verse. It says, He who begets, that is to give birth to, a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. Solomon says, Mockers are so annoying, even their parents don't like them. When, the, when, when mom, even your mama, is ghosting your calls when, when, if you're a scoffer, right? And why is that? Because listen, what are parents always trying to do? Parents are trying to give correction to their kids for this purpose, because every parent I have ever met, and, and I know that parents are imperfect and all that, but every parent I have ever known has a desire, and that is for their kids to live a better life than they had. 
And when they give correction, it's like, look, I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm just trying, I want you to have a better life than I have. The, the scoffer just can't see it. They see everything as an attack. And that's why the scoffer brings problems. The mocker brings problems wherever they go. And they destroy everything that they touch. Because they can't imagine the one thing, and that is that they might be wrong. In, in, in Proverbs 29, it says this, that mockers stir up a city. That is, literally, means stir up, uh, stirs up a city to violence. And then, but it says, but the wise turn away anger. My point is this. You cannot give mockers a seat at your table. Your table has to be reserved for people who are wise, people who want to see you do well, people who, that you, hey, we want God to do great things in your life. Surround yourself with wise people and ignore the mockers because the mockers aren't doing anything and they aren't ever going to do anything. But you know what happens when you embrace wisdom? The entire trajectory of your life changes when you embrace wisdom. In fact, in Psalm 119, it says this, your commands make me wiser than my enemies for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. Now, let me, let me tell you this, um, and, and just before I tell you, this has got to be one of my five favorite stories that I tell. in my. It's got to be one of the 20 best moments of my life, and I'm so glad I got to witness it. And um, I would tell this story every two or three weeks if I were allowed to, but I limit myself to tell it once a year. So anyway, so if you've never heard it, it's been a year, and if you want to hear it again, let's set a date for a year from now. I'll tell you. All right. So my kids used to take karate, and one day, it was a Saturday, they had a guest sensei, and uh, the sensei had the kids doing sparring, but the problem is, this is and, and, I, and I agree with the sensei on this, is that the kids were sparring, but they're just kind of like this. That's about as high as I can kick, by the way, and, uh, but they're doing this kind of sparring, and, and, and he's like, look, if this is really sparring, you got to really try to punch these people because they've got to learn how to block what feels like a real punch or a real kick. And so then he has everybody sit down on, uh, by the, on the wall and he decides to pick my daughter Mia and says, Mia, here's what I want you to do. And my, Mia's like, I don't know, eight, nine years old. And he's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to punch me in the face. And, uh, and my, Mia says, I, I'm sorry, my, 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 my parents don't let me punch people in the face, which if I was like, I'm okay with it in certain circumstances. <laughs> anyway, but I'm saying, that's fine. And uh, so, anyway, so, but uh, he's like, it's okay. I'm the teacher. I have a black belt. I want you to try to punch me. And she's like, okay. So she goes to punch. She throws a punch and she stops like two inches before his face. He's like, no, this is what I'm talking about. You've got to really try to punch me. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not allowed to punch people in the face. And he's like, okay, sit down. And then sitting right next to my daughter, Mia, is, is my niece, Carrie. And um, he says, okay, you. And he doesn't know her name. He's like, you, little blonde girl. Which, by the way, I think this might be what happened, why what happened next happened. It's like, you, little blonde girl, stand up. And so he says to her, I want you to punch me in the face. He didn't even get all the words out. And she goes, boom, and just rocked him right in the face. And the guy was so visibly stunned. Everybody that was, all the parents started clapping. And cheering, like, yeah, finally. And um, the guy, and, and then he's like, okay, uh, let's move on to something else. And, uh, and that was it. Why? Because, listen, here's the thing that wisdom does. Wisdom, I love what the psalmist says. He goes, wisdom can make me smarter than my teachers. Wisdom can make a white belt 
wiser than a black belt. And that's the whole point. And so, wisdom helps us decide, I want to stop getting punched in the face. Because listen, fools and scoffers and mockers, they keep doing the same things and they keep getting punched in the face and they keep experiencing the same consequences over and over and they have no idea why it's happening. This is why the mocker, the scoffer keeps dating the same type of person, keeps kind of doing relationships the same way and it's a total disaster and they're like, I don't know what's wrong. It's definitely not me. And, you know, the mocker, the scoffer keeps spending money the same way, doing their own thing and can't figure out why they're broke. It certainly can't be me, right? The mocker and the scoffer keep using the same destructive words, destructive patterns with their relationships and friendships, and it falls apart, and they can't figure out. They're like, I don't know. It's not me. And listen, and by the way, and here's the other thing, and if we slow down from what God has called us to do because of mockers and scoffers, we are being as foolish as them. Instead, what you and I are going to do is that we're going to use our gifts and we're going to step out as God leads us. We're going to be open to the spirit of God directing us and we're going to ignore the mockers and watch God thoroughly bless our lives. It's a much better way to live. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. And the tepid applause. Uh, thank you. But she gets five points and the rest of you were late. You can redeem those five points at the cafe. I don't know what they'll do. Hey, I have five points. What is that? Are you part of our rewards program? And uh, wouldn't that be something if we started? Okay, I'm moving on. All right. <laughs> so look what happens in verse 14. Remember, oh, they're full of new wine, the mockers say. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and hear, heed my words. For these are not drunk as you supposed, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my manservants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you pause there and give me your attention. Um, last thing, I want, we want God to use us, right? So we need God to empower us with gifts. We need to God to give us wisdom. And then thirdly, we need God to create an opportunity. Now, there's a couple of things here that are important to note that I want you to remember. Remember, the rushing wind was so loud that the people started coming together wondering what happened. The mockers come out like, oh, they're just drunk with wine. And then Peter stands up and says, okay, first of all, these people aren't drunk. You know why? It's only 9 a.m. You know what he's saying? He's like, look, not even the drunks are drunk yet. It's too early in the morning for that. But then Peter uses this kind of dumb comment to create an opportunity for the gospel and turn the conversation in the direction that he wants it to go. And so he quotes from the book of Joel and says this, that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit. And that's what we see happening here. And I, what's so brilliant about Peter's selection of this passage from Joel 2 to explain is that it's going to lead where he wants to go. What happens at the end where he says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what we're going to look at next time is the rest of Peter's sermon. So it's going to be a sermon about a sermon. So this is like an inception moment. Um, but we're going to kind of explain Peter's sermon next time. But he says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And one of the things that I love 
about the Joel passages. This is from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. But what he, the Joel passage says this, that when God pours out his spirit, it doesn't matter who you are. And it doesn't matter where you are in life. God wants to work in you and through you. If you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. God is going to pour out his spirit on both manservant and maidservant. If you're young or old, doesn't matter. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men are going to see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. Listen, um, visions are a young man's game. And, and I'll tell you this. I've been, a Christian, uh, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I never thought I'd be able to say that because I never thought I'd be this old. But... Um, I'm 35 now. Anyway. <laughs> but here, listen, I, I have experienced, and, and I know if you're, not, um, if you're not a Christian or you're like, I'm a Christian, but I don't know, I believe in the supernatural, this may sound kind of weird, but um, I, I experienced one vision in my life, and uh, it was in 1999. I was in Israel. And um, now, before coming and starting Calvary 22 years ago, I spent about four and a half years running a college. And so uh, it was a Bible college. We were training uh, pastors, associate pastors, worship leaders, missionaries uh, for the purpose of preaching the gospel and giving them a biblical education. And so um, I felt at the end of 1999 that God was going to lead us to do something else. We felt like it was maybe to go start a church, but we weren't sure. And so we got to Israel. It was probably the second or third day that we were there. Uh, we were doing a baptism at the Jordan River. And if you come with us to Israel, we're going to do a baptism at the Jordan again. And, um, but I had the privilege of baptizing about 50 or 60 people in the Jordan. And then at the end, I just felt this stirring. And I was baptizing with my friends who were pastors that we were leading the group together. And I just said, hey, I feel God stirring something in me. And um, I just want to totally surrender myself to whatever God has for me. And would you guys baptize me? And so they baptized me in the Jordan after we had baptized all these other people. But anyway... Um, two days later, we're in Jerusalem, and I'm sitting in the hotel dining area by myself, and I have this vision, and um, this, the whole thing, I mean, the whole thing lasted, I, I don't know, but I can only imagine it lasted like 10, 15 seconds, um, but I, I have this vision that I'm standing in front of a fireplace, and I see this mantle on top, and there's all this kind of smaller pottery that's on the mantle, and, and, I, and I hear this voice that says, Bob, if you go now, I'll use you. And then the scene kind of begins to turn, and I see the corner of the room. And in the corner of the room, there's this pot that's, I mean, really, it's huge. It's beautiful and ornate, but it's taking up the entire corner of the room. And then I hear the voice again. It says, but if you'll wait on me, I'll really use you. Now, I know you think, wow, that sounds so cool. I was so freaked out by that. I didn't say anything to anyone about it. I'm in Israel with my wife. I didn't say anything to her for a week. It was until our last day in, in Israel that I told him, like, hey, I had this thing happen. And um, because I knew what it meant. Because, I, you know, running this college and, you know, I know all these pastors. And so I was getting invited to speak at these churches all over the place. And if there was a church that didn't have a pastor, they'd invite me to come and fill the pulpit one Sunday. And, you know, I'd go to these churches and, be, and then the, the leaders would take me aside and say, hey, you know, would you consider being the senior pastor of the church? And I, I was feeling like I was supposed to go start a church and not um, take over something that was already existing. Not that there's anything wrong with doing that, but just not, not my call. And so, and so I had all these opportunities. There were people that were calling from different cities and saying, hey, why don't you come here and start a church and there, whatever. And, and I, I, was, I knew God was moving, but I was unsure. 
And, 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 and I knew what it meant. It was God saying to me, if you take one of these other opportunities, good work will be done and I'll use you to impact the kingdom. But if you wait for the thing that I'm gonna birth in you, it will far exceed anything that you could ever do on your own. And I've always believed that that was starting this church 22 years ago. But it wasn't until our grand opening. And you would think that I'd be thinking about this all the time. And it's just, I don't know, I just, you kind of get busy with life. I had three little kids at the time, so I, didn't, I wasn't even sleeping. And, um, and the day of our grand opening, I walked onto the stage for the first time. And I couldn't even utter a word. I started to cry because I realized that God was fulfilling the vision that he had given me all those years before. We are in the southernmost, southwestmost corner of Broward County. Nobody's further west than us. Nobody's further south than us. We are in the corner, just like I saw in that vision so many years before. And God had fulfilled the thing that he had said that he was going to do. This is a good place to applaud, by the way. Um, wow, thank you. Wow, so, so moved. By We're working together. I'm going to get you guys there. Don't worry. But listen, and here's, you know why I tell you this? Here's the point. You need moments in your life where you know that God is leading you because there will be times that you'll question whether you made this whole thing up. The other thing that I think is important, well, I'll tell you that in a minute. Because even when you're called, even when you're called and you're doing things that God, the things God wants you to do, you know, there are still trials. There's still challenges. There's still problems. There's still a few mockers running around. When we got back from Israel, having experienced the vision, and we thought God was leading us, I have an entire, I have a notebook in my office, a journal, where I just started writing everything down because I thought someday I'm going to think, did I make all this up? And I have, to, I have to read everything that God did. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone back to that journal uh, to remember all the things that God did. Well, one of those things is we had gotten back. It was about, so we were in Israel in mid-November. So now this is just after the new year. And I said to Carrie, and I said, Carrie, I, I, I think God's calling us to go south. Now, one, we were up at Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale. That was my home church. It was the only church I'd ever known. And I uh, had been on staff there for years now. And, and I said, but I think God's calling us to go south and go start a church. And let's pray and fast about it. So we decided we we're going to take three days to pray and fast. And on the second day, I get a forwarded email from my pastor um, because there's this guy that lives... Now, mind you, I had not told a soul. Carrie and I had not told anyone uh, what, what we were praying about because we weren't sure. Anyway, my pastor forwards me this email from a guy uh, who I know very well now, but he sent an email um, and to, to my pastor saying, hey, we drive from pretty far south to come up to the church and is there, is there anyone, maybe you have an associate pastor on your staff that's praying about starting a church and maybe you, they could pray about coming south to start a church. And so he forwarded it to me and said, hey, why don't you pray about this? But he had no idea what I was praying about. I was not ready to talk to him about anything at this point because I wasn't sure. But man, that was just one of the dozens of things that God used. That, and, and man, that email, I printed it out. I still have it. I treated that thing like it was scripture. Uh, and I'm like, man, this, because that email was from God at a moment when God only knew that we needed to hear from him. And people tell me that, man, I wish God would send me an email. Like, yeah, I've gotten one. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. And you know, you know why I think it's important for you to know this is because if you come to church here, this church is not some 
pastor and his wife just decided, hey, we should just kind of start something. No, this is a church that was birthed out of a supernatural vision that God gave to a man and a woman, that God wanted to do something to change this entire region for the gospel. That's the church that you attend. So, now, so whether you're, whether you're a young man, a young woman, and you want God to give you a vision, or maybe you're getting a little older like me, and you're like, I'd rather God speak to me while I'm taking a nap, because um, now I'm in the, I'm dream, you know, God's older people dream dreams because we, we sleep a little more. And, um, but either way, you want God to lead and direct your life. And here's the thing that I love is that um, your life, when you follow what God is leading you to do, your life will be blessed because of it. But you know what's so awesome? Everybody else's life is going to be blessed because of it. That's why next week when we get to the end of Peter's message, this is just the beginning. We get to the end of his message. Thousands of people are going to give their life to Jesus because God poured out his spirit. Because thousands are going to be saved because he gave gifts to people who wanted to obey him and wanted to follow him. Thousands are going to be saved because he gave wisdom to people that weren't going to just take it as advice. They were going to take it as a directive. Thousands of people are going to be saved because he gave opportunity for God, for him to work and they seized the opportunity. Listen, it is the thing that changed these men and women forever. And the thing that I love, and it's so true for you and I right now, is that it changed them. And if you will allow God to change you, then everybody else in your life is going to see it and inquire and want to know how their life can be transformed as well. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you so much. We are so grateful that you don't just leave us to get figure it out, but instead you want to walk with us. You want to lead us and direct us. You want to confirm the decisions along the way so that we can be sure of what you're calling us to do. So God, I pray for young men and women that they would see visions, for the older among us that we would dream dreams, but that all of us would experience you leading and directing, empowering us, and that we would see our world transformed and then see the world transformed. And we pray it all in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.